to Matthew chapter 5 this morning. Matthew chapter 5. We've been talking about our ways not being God's ways, how difficult that is, and how difficult being a Christian is. Actually, it's impossible to be a Christian unless you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You can't fake it. There's just too many difficult things. It's Christ in you. We learned this morning, we're, which, was a, which is a good lesson uh, that kind of helps with the message this morning of the vine and the branches and, and abiding in him. So one of the most difficult parts, I think, of being a Christian is loving your enemies. Jonah, he had a hard time with that. I, you know, we, I don't know what Jonah went through with the people of Nineveh and what may have happened in his life, but certainly there are things that people do to us as Christians or just as people and, and hurt us very badly. But Christ says to love our enemies. On the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would have a common phrase. Ye have heard, but I say unto you, five times in Matthew chapter 5, our text, I want you to look at verses 43 and 44 of Matthew chapter 5. It says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor, and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. And we learned a little bit about persecution. People who come after you, they say rough things about you. If you're going to live for Christ, you're going to have persecution. It just follows. It's just how it is. You know, the Jews said that you can hate your enemy. But Jesus would mature the Jews from the letter of the law to the spirit of the law. Now, here's the Old Testament scripture that they used to support their teaching. Deuteronomy 6.5, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Now, they had, didn't have a problem with that and teaching that and preaching that in a way. Leviticus 19.18 says, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. There's an example of a Jewish lawyer trying to justify himself before Christ, and he uses the word master. And I think you ought to look. Whenever you see somebody address Jesus as master, he's a teacher. He's not addressing him. You'll find a difference when people call him Lord. So think about those two words when you see addresses. But he wanted to separate those who are his neighbor. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And we're going to see this discourse between this lawyer and Jesus. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. And it says, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up tempting him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, what is written in the law? Now, I love Jesus. We ought to take note of this. We ought to witness a lot by just asking people questions. 
He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou answerest right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? You know, it is our human nature to separate mankind into certain groups or classes, so as, like the lawyer, we can justify poor treatment of people in their classes. This is where prejudices come from. This is how we justify slave labor. On the other hand, another form of prejudice happens when we advance and support people of color, ethnicity, or gender ab above other better or more qualified people just to keep quotas. We're actually hurting other people when we do that. The world, on an even more severe level, make animals equal to man. It's getting very close there. Treating animals as they, they had human rights. Now, how does God treat people and animals? It's a good question. People are people, animals are animals, and they're both to be treated correctly in how they were made and what they were for. You know, hatred first seems to stem from wrong classification of people. Classification outside of God's classification. Religions, races, countries, classes, animals, our expectation of one another as masters, as servants, as husbands, as wives, as Christians, brothers and sisters. We, like the lawyer, try to justify our mistreatment and hurt to others by asking who our neighbors are or who is the authority. How did Jesus answer the lawyer when he asked, who is my neighbor? Beginning in verse 30 of Luke chapter 10. And Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, this was a simple question. The lawyers asked him, who is my neighbor? And now Jesus is telling the story. I love it. You know, there's a lot to learn from that. He says, and by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him, into, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Jesus does not give a lawyer's definition. The Jews lived in a dispensation representative 
of what I would call the teenage years. They lived in the time known as the law. You know, teenagers typically want to justify their behavior. They go to their parents to find out the law, and then they use a lawyer's process to justify their behavior. But let me ask you something. Why do you need to justify anything to a parent, boss, church leader, or any authority if what you did was in exact accordance with what the authority says? This lawyer knew he did something wrong and was trying to justify it by the letter of the law. But Jesus led this lawyer to answer the question for himself after telling the story. He used several characters in this story. There was a certain man, somebody particular, yet nobody in particular and anybody. He uses a priest who was a person of high religious position. When I look at it, I look at myself, I could be the priest, the pastor, the one who should be responsible to really helping people. He uses a Levite, a Jewish person of high religious regard of the tribe of Levi. Thieves. Could have been Jews or Gentiles, folks. <laughs> Jew doesn't guarantee that you're not a thief or a robber. Who knows who they were. Then there was a Samaritan. These were a disgrace to the Jews half-breed religious people with a deep prejudice, they were hated by the Jews. I can almost guarantee you, these are some of the things I think in heaven I want to know the answers because it doesn't, doesn't tell us exactly, but I can almost guarantee this story was very applicable to that lawyer. There was something that rang his bell personally. First, you have a priest, someone you would think would be the most caring person. Somehow, justifying his actions, he sees and walks around the man, leaving him there to die. Then there is a Levite, a man from the tribe of Levi, a set-apart tribe that was not to own anything but to be taken care of by the other 11 tribes with the sole duty of ministering. He comes up with some justification and finds his excuse for not ministering to the injured. But then comes the Samaritan, the scum of the earth to the Jew. Remember what I said when we start classifying people, what happens. But he was not moved by responsibility or law. He was moved, it says, with compassion. He saw a need of a human being without knowing why the man was hurt or who he was. Not only does a Samaritan give personally to aid in his recovery, may I also note that the priest and the Levite just happened to be going to my, it's almost as like they were just taking a walk around and seeing. I don't know exactly what they were up to, but it does say particularly the Samaritan was on a journey. He had a purpose. You know, sometimes we have a journey and a purpose in our life, and we're busy, and that's what we got to do. That's where we got to go. And that can become an excuse for not having compassion. But this Samaritan, he had compassion. His life stopped right there. There was something more important. 
even in his busy life. Then Jesus gives the definition of who our neighbor is by allowing the lawyer to answer his question. He says, now which, which now of these, in verse 36, thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, he that showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said unto him, go and do thou likewise. It's interesting that Jesus said the Samaritan acted by compassion. But the lawyer used the word mercy. They're two different Greek words. The word mercy is a different Greek word. When seen how this word is used, if you, you go and you look at that Greek word and you follow it and you see how it's constantly used, it has a connotation of not getting what you deserve. In other words, he kind of looked at it like, you know, this guy apparently did wrong, you know, kind of judging this person, but somebody's going to help him anyway, even though he has had some fault in this. It's interesting how the lawyer kind of had a little bit different thought about that. How many times do we look at a situation and are driven out of responsibility and duty, but not out of compassion, which is driven by care, concern, and sympathy? Feeling what the person is going through and meeting their needs without regards of the backgrounding of the background surrounding the issue. It seems that the answer to who our neighbor is has no reference to where they live, who they are, what our position is or upbringing is, but rather our neighbor is who we have compassion on. And we are supposed to do unto them as we would hope someone would do for us if the tables were turned. Compassion is a universally applied principle that does not have regard to persons, enemies, or friends. Our God is a God of compassion. I won't have you turn now. I'll just read a few verses. And this is just a few out of verses that talk about God's great compassion. Psalm 78, 36, nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth, and they lied unto him with their tongues. For their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant, speaking of the Jews, the Hebrews. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. For he remembered that they were but flesh. Hmm. A wind that passeth away and cometh not again. Psalm 145 verse 8. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. Matthew 9.36. But when he saw the multitudes, speaking of Jesus, he was moved with compassion on them. Because they fainted. <clears throat> And were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Matthew 14, 14. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude. And he was moved with compassion toward them. And he healed their sick. Isaiah 49, 13. Sing, O heavens. And be joyful, O earth. And break forth into singing, O mountains. For the Lord hath comforted his people and will have mercy upon his afflicted. But Zion said... The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. 
This is an interesting verse. Can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? That's pretty deep. He says, yay. They may forget. There is some ladies who have forgotten their children. He said, yet will I not forget thee. The scriptures teach us to be compassionate. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. How can we love our enemies? By making them our neighbors, by having compassion on them. We will never love our enemies until we have compassion on them. But how do we have compassion on those who seek to hurt us or our family? And maybe do. Of course, Stephen was martyred. He said, forgive them. They don't know what, forgive them of their sin, not to forgive them of what they did as they stoned him. <laughs> Turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. This is an interesting portion of scripture. <clears throat> it's a very humbling portion of scripture. Especially if you're in the ministry. It kind of lets you know where you are. Hebrews chapter 5, beginning of verse 1, says, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. God sets the people apart in ministry to do things. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. <laughs> and by reason hereof, he ought, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sins. What this is saying is, compassion is related to, we're no different than they are. We need to see our enemies no different than what we were or, or are. Having compassion is understanding your needs are the same as everybody's needs. The answer to your needs are the answer to everyone's needs. All men are on the same plane. We are born sinners, lost with no hope of ourselves and in need of salvation with time running out. I'll just tap my foot a little bit. Time running out. God provided salvation from the penalty of death to everyone in the world through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. Salvation is believing in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Some believe unto salvation, while others have not. I did not distinguish people by their religion, their church attendance, their morality, or their works. I found a lot of good people that outshine a lot of Christian people. That's not what it's about. Jesus saith unto, unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, 
Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Here is how we love our enemies. First of all, we must be saved. The only ability to love enemies is to know the love of God. We talked this morning about the vine and the branches and abiding in Christ. Without abiding in Christ, we have not the ability to love our enemies. To know that Christ came for us while we were yet sinners, we were unworthy. How can we love our enemies when they're unworthy as well? He had compassion on us even while we lived a self-run life, rejecting the full control of God in our life. As Christians, we must look past the hurtful, the untruthful, even downright mean actions against us as Christians, the ridicule received from giving the pure gospel of Christ to those who flat out reject it, or for those who are hiding under a cloak of good morals or religious backdrops. <laughs> it's not only the saved that attack us, attacks us, but Christians attack Christians as well. Get ready for it. Jesus came down very hard on Christians abusing Christians. We read it this morning. We, we should be known to the world by our love one toward another. Matthew 5, 43 and 44 again. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. How can we love our enemies? By having compassion on them. We have compassion on them because we see ourselves in them. <laughs> I kind of wonder what that Samaritan had been through or maybe drove him to compassion. You know, sometimes we go through hard things. It helps us to be more compassionate. Remembering before we were saved, Remember the struggles we had, the lack of peace, the hateful heart, the direction we were headed? I'll tell you what, God's given me a, an imaginative mind. That can be a good thing, and that can be a bad thing. I find myself, I can think of some really bad things. I think I'd be the biggest crook in the world. I don't know if I'd be alive today. I might be the richest man in the world, but I would be not what God wanted me to be, and I would not be a happy man. I just think of what God saved me from. Man, I was going down a path. I was, I'm just going to tell you, and you need to understand about yourself. I was a little liar boy. You see these little kids running around? At home, you'd be saying, that little Tim Baker kid, man, he's a little liar. <laughs> That's kind of how I was. And man, I was going in the wrong direction. I got older. And man, and God, because of his love for me, made me in a very embarrassing situation. It was because of his love. Because he didn't want me to be like that. And from then on, he began to change my life.
We must have compassion. We must see ourselves for how we were and what God's done for us. And we will want that for other people. Even when they are upset at, it, at us, angry at us, telling lies about us, we still must love them because we understand their need. We understand the cure because we received it ourselves. We see, when we see a person, any certain person who is suffering and needs help, we should be moved with compassion. Like the Good Samaritan, when God brings a need before us, says, and went to him and bound his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Think about what oil and wine represents. And set, on, set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. But just remember, as soon as we classify people in life, as soon as we determine if it is our job or not, as soon as we believe that it's all right to hate our enemies, remember Jesus said, this is what you were told. <laughs> We become like the priest and the Levite and leave people to die in their sins. You have heard that it's been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemies. Mm. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Now I'm going to read the rest of the verses here that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise, who? On the evil and the good. And sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be therefore perfect, even as your Father which in, is in heaven is perfect. In James chapter 3, it's beginning of verse 8, it says, But the tongue can no man tame. It is unruly, evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and there, therewith we curse men, and listen to what it says, which are made after the similitude of God loves all men, and God died for all men, that all men might be saved. It says, out of the same mouth proceed the blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Now, I would feel like a poor shepherd, and since my son Tim is here, because he's uh, told me about a few things, I... I want to warn you that not every incident that you walk by is your incident to get involved in. <laughs> we must be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and act with wisdom. Tim will tell you, and at some point he, we may have something where he can uh, help us to uh, understand some of these things. But innocent good people fall into evil trappings. They're setups many times. Or just getting involved, which seems to be good, actually lands you in jail 
with a sentence of your own, even though you were just trying to help out. Or maybe you get hurt in the situation. We must be careful to use wisdom in assessing situations and making wise decisions. But if the Spirit compels us and compassion overwhelms us, God will take care of it. Okay? Now, here's an example that I just ran into. I was talking with my brother, Ray, who works at Calbrands. <coughs> and he's telling me of a situation he's <laughs> really kind of up against. It's really bothering him. Actually, he's getting persecuted. And it's kind of funny. I don't think he'll, he'll bother. <coughs> he'll be bothered by me telling this story of his. There is, <coughs> he works in maintenance. And he so happened to have this fault. Um, because the floor was wet, he put a ladder up, he climbed on top of the ladder and reached out, and the ladder just slid out from underneath him. So he was off work for a little while. Well, he found out that he has a new job of training uh, forklift operators um, so that they can have their forklift license. And so there is a fellow who's a welder who he's described as very rough. He rides a Harley Davidson to work. He carries when he should not carry. He's not supposed to carry. Um, a very difficult, harsh person who went up to his boss and said, you mean that guy who can't even stand on a ladder is going to teach me how to drive a forklift? I mean, just nasty. This guy's just really nasty. I said, I said, Ray, I said, take that as a challenge. You know what I think? Possibly that guy has a hard time reading or can't read, possibly. He's horrible at taking tests and doesn't want to do this thing, and he's just trying every evil way he can think of to get out of it. Apparently he does things that there at that plant, they have to all wear masks. He's the only one who does it, and nobody says anything to him. <laughs> but perhaps this is an opportunity. I said, see if you can win him over. It's easier said than done. <laughs> that was easy for me to say. But sometimes there's people like that. There's people that just get up and underneath your skin who revile you and say bad things about you. But we are to love our enemies because he has a need. He needs to see that man not as him attacking him, but somebody who has a need. He may or may not be able to do anything for the fellow, but he can certainly give it a try. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, this pianist comes to play. God has given us a humongous task. If we think we could do anything in our flesh, this is one I don't think any of us could, could even think that we could do in our flesh. But through Christ, through abiding in Him, through seeing people and being humble, realizing who we were and where we were going, and maybe you need to think about that a little more in your life. 
And to think of how deep the love of God came down and reached unto us. It is through that that we can have compassion on our enemies to make them our neighbor, to reach down and give the gospel to them. I can hear the Savior calling. did my best to try to give you what the Lord was giving me. But to love our enemies, we're going to have to have compassion. We're going to have to humble ourselves. We're no better than anybody else. God's upset with us when we start to make classifications and start doing things, whether it's the pastor looking down his nose <laughs> or whether it's looking at a group of people or people who's hurt you. We need to get beyond that. We need to see God and his love. See what he did for us. We would love our enemies. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your blessed word. Thank you for the food we're about to receive. Pray your blessings on that. Pray you bless our visit at the home and that you would work in the people's lives there and help us to... Uh, to love them, to be compassionate toward them. There's many that need to be saved there. There are many there, Christians, that need to make it more verbal to get out and to love others there at the home. And Father, I just pray that you'd work in their hearts and lives and work in ours as we go. For we ask it in Jesus' name.